Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello, good friends. On this Friday morning, September 8th, about 8.30 in the morning in our nation's capital, welcome back to the Bill Press Pod and this week's Reporters Roundtable. Well, the end of the summer brought the Senate back to town, the House comes back next week, and it brought Washington back to life on several fronts. On the legal front, a jury found former Trump White House aide Peter Navarro guilty of contempt of Congress, and the head of the Proud Boys was thrown in the slammer for 22 years. On the Senate front, Mitch McConnell came back and used his return from Kentucky to insist and display that he has no serious health issues. On the House front, Kevin McCarthy's challenge next week is navigating his way between shutting down the government and launching impeachment hearings on President Biden. And on the political front, Donald Trump widened his lead in the Republican primary. Joe Biden's poll numbers remain stuck in the low 40s or less and two special congressional elections this week, Utah and Rhode Island. Ha, so much to talk about, so little time, so let's jump right in with today's Blue Star panel. Jeff Dufour, Editor-in-Chief, National Journal, and author of the Sunday Nightcap Newsletter. Hello, Jeff, welcome back. Hello, Bill. Uh, Leah Askaranam, a contributing analyst to the Cook Political Report with Amy Walter. Hi, Leah. Hi, Bill. Uh, and here we go, Igor Babish, senior politics reporter for HuffPost. Hello, Igor. Morning, Bill. Okay, so Jeff, let's start off here. You know, it wasn't the biggest story in the world, but it's a story that certainly captivated and dominated news inside of Washington, D.C., and that was the return of Mitch McConnell to the Senate, which Politico this morning called a macabre scene. I don't hear that <laughs> word macabre very often. Uh, and Mitch did everything he could to show I'm back, man, and I'm in charge, and I'm in good shape. He gave a speech on the floor. Uh, he met with his Republican caucus, and he met with reporters, including this dynamic exchange with CNN's Manu Raju. You've had all these evaluations. What have doctors said is the precise medical reason for those two freeze-ups? What Dr. Monahan's report addressed was concerns people might have that some things that happened to me did happen, but they didn't. And it's really, I have nothing to add to that. I think you pretty well covered the subject. Ah, that inspire confidence, Jeff? Well, that, that clears everything up, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> what maybe struck me most about this is um, that the, when the Capitol physician made his statement about it, he said this episode might have been caused by dehydration. And then McConnell's own fellow Kentucky Senator, Rand Paul, who's a doctor himself, came out and said, this doesn't seem like dehydration to me. What happened to him is not a symptom of dehydration. Uh, 
So no, I don't know that we're ever going to get the full picture of this, um, nor do we know whether it's going to keep happening. Um, one, one thing I do know is that between now and next fall, uh, we are going to hear a lot more about the gerontocracy and, and whether this is a good idea. Uh, I think Democrats were frankly lucky that with led by three people in their 80s in the House last Congress, they were lucky to get by without any health scares. Um, and now we have Trump, Biden, Feinstein, McConnell. Uh, we have Nikki Haley calling for mental competence tests for elderly office holders, which isn't going to happen. It's impractical. But still, it's it's in the conversation and it's going to stay there uh, through the election. So, Igor, what do you hear uh, in the halls about Plan B? Um, are there people, you know, other Republicans who won't say it publicly, but privately are just saying, you know, who, who's who's going to take his place if, if he has to step down? Yeah, absolutely. This conversation has been running for a while now uh, about who's going to replace McConnell when he steps down. You basically have three senators who are jockeying behind the scenes, waiting, uh, kind of um, waiting in the wings to see what happens with him. We have John Thune of South Dakota, uh, John Barrasso, Wyoming, mm -hmm. and John Cornyn of Texas, who has perhaps been the most um, outspoken in public about his desire to become a Republican leader. Um, you know, he, he told us uh, this just, just a couple days ago that he would love to become leader one day. He Feels huh. like he would be a great shoo-in for the job, uh, but he's not going to overstep his bounds, and he's going to wait his turn. Um, now that that jockeying has become, I'm sure it's going to become even more heated um, because I don't think this is going to be the last time um, we see an episode like this. You know, McConnell has slowed down ever since he fell earlier this year. He obviously hit his head. He got this concussion. He went to the hospital, but physically, you know, he's. He's not the same same person that we even saw even a year ago. Um, huh. I couldn't help yeah. noticing he was a lot more, a lot more gaunt, uh, thinner mm -hmm. uh, in his appearance. He seemed to be swimming in his his suit um, when he made his his return this week. So I, you know, I don't want to I don't want to say count him out. Mitch McConnell has been around and he had this he has this legendary, um, uh, legendary persona and and uh, so. We'll see what happens, but yeah, I, I think, yeah. um, I think, I think uh, it's likely that we're going to see another one of these. Wow! Uh, so, Leah, this kind of cuts both ways, doesn't? I mean, in in a way, I would imagine uh, that Democrats would rather have Mitch McConnell there than somebody else who might be more of a hardliner on issues like impeachment or government shutdown, um, and doesn't also make it maybe more difficult for. Republicans to use the age issue against Joe Biden when they've got Mitch McConnell? Yeah, I don't really know who has the upper hand in the age wars here um, <laughs> between Republicans and Democrats, it seems. So I don't know if I'd want to fight that one. Um, I mean, one of the people who came out in support of uh, Mitch McConnell this week was, was Joe Biden. You know, like the Senate compared to the House – um, has been significantly easier for Democrats to work with and has yeah. just been a more united front. Uh, McConnell has managed to uh, develop a pretty strong um, 
to develop a pretty strong sense of unity among Senate Republicans in a way that Kevin McCarthy just hasn't been able to do in the House. Um, So when it comes to kind of the big government decisions, a government shutdown, um, you can imagine that, you know, Democrats would rather work with a a McConnell. Um, Though I will say that even if another Republican does replace McConnell, just in general, the Senate Republicans seem to be more united than the House Republicans. Um, I wouldn't say that it would necessarily um, break that relationship that's you know been been at least semi-functional you know over the last yeah, few years. Right. Well, it's hard to believe we're going down this road again, but the shutdown here we go again uh, is now looming on the horizon, uh, and um, and as Leah pointed out, a big difference between Senate Republicans and House Republicans on this issue, it appears. Um, Jeff Adam Schiff says uh, there's no way we're going to escape this, uh, and here's why. Here's Adam Schiff. Uh, I, I fear that we're on a path to government shutdown because there are enough members of the Republican conference who want it, and Kevin McCarthy will do whatever it takes to remain speaker one more day or one more week. That's his sole motivation. Uh, so Jeff, again, we've been down this road before, uh, what's it look like this time? Yeah, it looks like Groundhog Day again. (laughs) I mean, McCarthy is going to, he's going to find himself in the same situation over and over because his right flank is going to rebel. If he wants to get some of these bills passed, he may have to rely on democratic votes to do it. And if he does that, then he risks his speakership. Uh, at the moment, there's still not an obvious heir apparent for speaker, uh, an obvious replacement that the whole House could get behind. So that's probably the thing that's, that, that's going to keep saving him. But I mean, look at the issues that that they've got to get through. Uh, for starters, the conservatives want to push uh, appropriations bills that are well below the spending levels that McCarthy himself agreed to mm-hmm. during the debt ceiling negotiations. Right. They might want to roadblock the the $40 billion supplemental for Ukraine. And then even if it comes to a continuing resolution to buy them all more time and do this at the end of the year, um, some conservatives are now saying they're going to oppose a a clean continuing resolution unless the bill addresses the the weaponization of the Justice Department or the the woke policies at the Pentagon or defunding the special counsel investigations or impeaching Joe Biden. So I, there, there's no possible way I see that, that McCarthy is going to be able to satisfy all of these demands and still get uh, some sort of a reasonable spending package through. Right. Uh, and Igor, in fact, um, Matt Gates this week uh, kind of th- th- shot one across the, uh, Kevin McCarthy's bow by saying, um, we will... Uh, have a vote on impeachment or else if Kevin McCarthy may not stay long in his job. Uh, Igor, you intrepid reporter were able to nail down Pennsylvania Senator John Fetterman uh, and get his thoughts on impeachment, showing that uh, impeachment may not be as popular uh, and welcomed in the Senate as it is in the House. Here is uh, just a little clip of your good work with Senator Fetterman. What are your thoughts on uh, the Biden impeachment? Say to them, go ahead, do it. I dare you. You know, if you can find if you can find the votes, you know, go ahead because you know you're going to lose. Going back to something that Igor asked about earlier, uh, impeachment. You said, you know, I dare you to impeach Biden. Um, are you suggesting that? 
that would be politically harmful to Republicans to engage in this impeachment. Yeah, it would be politically harmful to Republicans. Yeah, that's that thing. You know, it, it, it would just be it would just be like a big circle jerk on on the the, the, the fringe, right? Well, Igor, I must admit. <laughs> I never thought I would hear that phrase, <laughs> circle jerk, <laughs> from a United States senator. Me off, off camera, for sure. When you heard that, what was your thought? Oh, it was just a, you know, well, that's a headline, uh, blaring. <laughs> you know, I got to get that, <laughs> got to write that up real quick. Uh, that was a first for me. Uh, you know, certainly colorful senator, I feel like he's coming uh, out of a shell a little bit. You know, he's been obviously since a stroke and, and time in the hospital for depression um, has been recovering and has not been speaking to reporters. Uh, his staff has been very guarded around him. He still uses an iPad, um, you know, has these audio processing issues where he has to uh, see, uh, has to watch an iPad while you're asking him a, a question, essentially oh, really? that tra- yeah. transcribes what, uh, what you're saying. Uh, but once he sees the question, he's he's uh, able to respond effectively as he just did during that interview, um, and had this had a couple of good one-liners. But um, in terms of messaging on this, I think that's what more Democrats would like to see—a uh, more energetic response. You know, mm-hmm. uh, come and get it. You know, come. You know, uh, take us down if you want, if you really can. Um, but. Uh, I, I don't know if the, the Biden White House would necessarily agree with that kind of posture, <laughs> uh, because impeachment does have its own risks. Uh, you know, look right. at the, yeah. the two impeachments of Donald Trump uh, certainly helped hurt, uh, I think, him a little bit in that election, 2020 election. And, um, you know, you never know what could come out. Uh, they could put somebody on the stand and more evidence could come out later. It certainly doesn't appear that there's evidence right now that President Biden was involved in some of his son's dealings. But um, I think that's the, the risk uh, facing the president in this, if, in fact, there is an impeachment. Uh, just a quick follow. Uh, there doesn't seem to be much enthusiasm I haven't seen among Senate Republicans for impeachment either. Yeah, absolutely. And you ask most of them and they're like, you know, the House is going to do what the House is going to do. We're, we've got our own things here. But um, um, couple of them have said no, flat out no, that there is no evidence yet that they have seen and that there is that, that this is just mostly a, a talking point on the on the far right. So I think unless they unless they produce actual hard evidence, it's going to be tough to see um, Senate Republicans joining them in this uh, this rabbit hole. Right. So Leah didn't get much attention this week, but there were two special elections, congressional elections uh, in the country. Doesn't seem they will change uh, the the numbers, or the makeup, current makeup in the House. But um, how important were they? Where were they? Yeah, no, I mean they uh, will at least you know fill a few, a couple of vacancies. Um, one of them was in Rhode Island, um, replacement for uh, David Cicilline, uh, and the. Uh, replacement is actually somebody who ran very closely to Biden and, and a little bit of Obama, but a former Biden staffer, Gabe Amo, or Gabe mm-hmm. Amo. Uh, and uh, the kind of big news there was that the progressive endorsed by Bernie Sanders um, lost. I will say that was with the plurality. We're talking, you know, uh, Amo won with 
you know, a third of the vote. Um, the progressive or the self-described progressive Aaron Regenberg uh, lost with about 25% of the vote, about a quarter of the vote. Um, but it was, you know, a, a moment for for Biden, uh, Biden mm-hmm. supporters, Ron Klain, <laughs> DJ Ducklow, to uh, try to take a victory lap. Uh, so uh, there was that. And then the other election was in Utah. Um, it's a primary. These, sorry, I should mention, these are both primaries, just in very solid seats. Right, so exactly. the primary is basically yeah. the general election. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Gabe almost still has to go through a general election, which which he will win. Um, in Utah, uh, Celeste Malloy, a former staffer for Chris Stewart, uh, who resigned earlier this year, won the primary. And uh, the, the drama was that up until the last second, it looked like a Republican who actually voted for uh, for Biden in 2020 <laughs> had the lead. <laughs> but in the end, um, Celeste Malloy, who's you know not going to join the Freedom Caucus, she'll probably make Kevin McCarthy's life a little bit easier, um, will likely win the November general election. Right. Uh, before we take a break, just on the legal front, uh, there's a lot going on this week. Uh, Jeff Peter Navarro, former top aide to President Trump, uh, subpoenaed to testify in front of the January 6th committee, uh, refused to go, said Donald Trump told him not to go. He was... Uh, Charged, uh, conf- accused or charged with a contempt of Congress. And this week, the jury found him guilty. Didn't take him long to do so. Here is a defiant Peter Navarro afterwards. I said from the beginning, this is going to the Supreme Court. I said from the beginning, I am willing to go to prison to settle this issue. I'm willing to do that. But I also know that the likelihood of me going to prison is relatively small because we are right on this issue. So, Jeff, he's just the latest of the January 6th people who hasn't, <laughs> haven't found a very welcome mat in the, in the courtrooms. No. Um, up to and including uh, Judge Chutkin, who is uh, presiding over the Trump case, uh, has been very tough on the January 6th uh, mm-hmm. conspirators, rioters, what, whatever we're going to call them. Um, yeah, the, the wheels of justice are kind of grinding slowly here. Remember, this is what a, a year and a half later, and yeah. then Enrique Tarrio, the leader of the Proud Boys. This is two and a half years after after January sixth, uh, who got twenty two years, as you said up the uh, up at the top. Um, n- not a normal tourist visit, as it turns out. Uh, no one gets twenty two years in prison for a normal tourist visit. Um, but it's a little bit tough to break through in this media environment. I would expect Democrats to say anytime a, a Republican tries to downplay what happened on January 6th, them to stand up and say, well, wait a minute, people are getting 20 years in prison for this. Um, but in this kind of fragmented media environment, it's a little bit tough to break through with that. Um, and then there is some evidence that Terrio has been told or at least believes that uh, if Trump were to be reelected, he and his uh, fellow Proud Boys would be pardoned post-haste. So that's also something to keep in mind. Right. In fact, uh, I think Vivek Ramasamy has promised the same thing, I believe. So, um, Igor, this makes, uh, I saw this morning, 
uh, a total of 1,139 people who've been charged in the January 6th assault on the Capitol. 350 of them so far uh, have been sent to prison or jail. Um, is there still a lot of support in the House for um, either pardoning or supporting the participants in the January 6th riot? riot? Well, certainly you, you see people like Marjorie Taylor Greene who have been on the forefront of this push to um, to pardon and um, uh, defend some of these people who, who stormed the Capitol. And their argument has been that these sentences are just too harsh. And some of the people who enter the Capitol um, who weren't writing, who weren't destroying things, who had just, you know, got swept up in it and went in and got charged. But, you know, there are others who like the Proud Boys and um, uh, people like them uh, organized some of these bands of uh, writers who came into the building. And now you see them saying, well, no, they should also go easy on them. So that's kind of uh, been, I think, uh, revealing in the sense that they, they no longer are able to draw this distinction. They're just flat out defending people who stormed and ravaged and, you know, called for the death of Mike Pence and uh, just a kind of the perverse situation that we're in now, where you have uh, several presidential candidates, not just Donald Trump, saying that that um, Proud Boys should, you know, we should go easy on the Proud Boys now. Um, just uh, yet another uh, sign of where we are as a democracy. Right. Uh, and as Jeff indicated, it does uh, keep coming up as to, as to if elected president, what the Republican candidates might be willing to do uh, to show some mercy to these people who so far have been convicted and in many cases uh, jailed, sent to prison. Okay, there's a lot more to talk about here on the, the news of this week, including what's been happening on the national political scene. Uh, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back with our panel, Igor Babish from HuffPost, Leah Asgaranam from the Cook Political Report with Amy Walter, and Jeff Dufer from the National Journal. Today's roundtable on the Bill Press Pod is brought to you by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, 1.3 million strong, the good men and women of the UFCW. Uh, they're the ones that serve us, probably the union members that we see most often in our daily lives, the ones that serve us at our big retail chains like uh, Macy's and Nordstrom's, big grocery chains like Safeway or Stop and Shop. The meat and poultry processing plants, chemical plants, cannabis plants, breweries, all members of the UFCW under President Mark Perrone. We thank them for taking good care of us, and we thank them for the longtime support of the Bill Press Pod. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. 
They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. And we're back on the Bill Press Pod on this Friday with today's roundtable. Joining us from the Cook Political Report with Amy Walters, Leah Skarnam, uh, from the National Journal, Jeff Dufour, and from HuffPost, Igor Babish. So, uh, Leah, on the national political scene, uh, with all the indictments, with all the charges, <laughs> with all the running around, uh, Donald Trump, it looks like, just keeps getting stronger and stronger. Um, at this point, you'd have to say Donald Trump all the way. Do you see anything changing? So I don't know if he's getting stronger and stronger, but he's not getting weaker and weaker. Uh, I I think that's the key right now. So, I mean, it definitely, it's hard to imagine how somebody other than Donald Trump becomes the nominee at this point. However, uh, you know, we're we're not electing, uh, the, the primary process works for the presidential election state by state and not all at once either. So a lot depends on Iowa and New Hampshire. And, you know, Trump is winning in Iowa and New Hampshire. He has a strong margin over the other contenders, but he's not regularly getting over that 50% mark. And that 50% mark is really important because once Trump hits that point, all of his, you know, Republican challengers combined still can't defeat him. So that's where I'm leaving open a possibility that, you know, Trump doesn't win the nomination. I find it unlikely, but I also can't really say that he has it locked up until we see him, you know, really start overperforming regularly in um in Iowa and New Hampshire. And what's really tricky about this is that I can't say like, well, you know, it's not Trump, but maybe it's DeSantis because <laughs> DeSantis isn't well positioned. Tim Scott isn't well positioned. None of them are well positioned right now. None of them are showing a real surge. Um, so it's just kind of like there's a chance that maybe Trump doesn't get the nomination. I think it's small, and I have no idea who would fill in the void. So right. there we are. Well, so, Jeff, some people, uh, maybe a lot of reporters, are so convinced that it's going to be Donald Trump that we're already talking about who would be his vice presidential nominee. He's going to a rally tomorrow in South Dakota. Governor Kristi Noem is going to introduce him, and she's going to announce her support for him in 2024. And so the big political news of today is she's going to be his vice presidential running mate. Possible, right? Very possible. Um, it, it's I, 
I, I would give her pretty good odds. Um, I don't look to Trump to pick anyone based on where they live or electoral college calculus or anything like that. That's not how Trump operates. We all know that. Um, he's more likely to pick someone who has said nice things about him. Um, some, <laughs> she checks that box. Someone who's attractive, she checks that box. Who's good on TV. Uh, good on right? TV, she checks that box. Um, loyal Republican, the MAGA base likes her, et cetera, et cetera. It's, he's not doing it for the, for the three uh, electoral votes out of South Dakota, that's for sure. Um, yeah. But I think, he, I, I think he does see the benefits of, of having a woman on the ticket um, to blunt some of the charges against him. Um, I'm going to piggyback on what Leah said for just a second. Um, I do agree that the, the broad contours of this race are about as clear as they could possibly be 14 months out. Um, I don't remember a race in my lifetime being quite this clear 14 months out, but I guess if I were, if this is a three act play, this, this campaign, we're not even out of act one yet. So mm -hmm. the, the only pause that, that, that I would give is there are so many elements of this story that are going to play out. We don't know how they're going to play out. You know, if Trump gets convicted in one, two, three cases, we're going to have oral arguments, it seems, about Trump's eligibility under the 14th Amendment. Uh, we're given how poorly Biden and Trump are both polling, third party candidates are probably going to enter the picture at some point. So there's in, in the in the Rumsfeldian language, there are so many uh, known unknowns uh, that I'm, <laughs> I'm hesitant to say, yes, Trump has it locked up now. Uh, what are we five months before Iowa votes? Mm -hmm. What uh, Igor? What what do you find talking to House and Senate Republicans? The level of enthusiasm for Trump. I mean, there haven't been a lot of them who've rushed out to definitely endorse him, right? Are they kind of holding back? Well, in the Senate, you have about uh, I think I think the number is at eleven. Uh, oh, really? Republicans yeah, already. Uh -huh. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're not your McConnell allies uh, who have been around for years. They're people like J.D. Vance who are um, fresh, fresh to Congress and, um, you know, owe their support to Donald Trump. Um, in the House, uh, I, I believe you have more, uh, nearly uh, a third of the House Republican Conference, uh, showing just how, um, you know, popular he remains and the power that he still has in, in the Republican Party. And uh, but, you know, you talk to Senate Republicans and they'd much rather avoid the question still. Um, right. They'd, they'd rather talk about other things. You have two Senate Republicans who have endorsed Tim Scott, including John Thune, who wants to be the, new, the next, you know, possibly the next McConnell successor. Um, so that's that's a kind of a factor in the in the play in the race for new leader is who Trump is going to back and who he likes, you know, Barrasso. John Barrasso is a little bit more uh, conservative. Um, Cornyn has, John Cornyn has tended to um, make deals with Democrats, which could impact the, the way, you know, his, his path to uh, leadership. Um, so, you know, it'll be interesting and, and kind of hanging over all of this is, is, is Donald Trump going to be in jail at some time <laughs> next year? Um, 
you know, is is he going to get a jail sentence? Is he going to run for prison for from jail, or or is this thing just going to be appealed to no end? And um, you know, are we even going to see any kind of um, trial un- until the election? Or short of jail, he could be already a convicted felon, but yeah. but still free on because he's appealing the, the decision or something, right? Yeah, you're right. right. So many unknown unknowns, right? Or known unknowns, whatever the phrase was. Meanwhile, uh, Jeff, uh, let's not, for, or Leo, rather, I'm sorry, let's not forget about, there is somebody else out there. His name is Joe Biden. Um, now, the campaign hasn't really started yet, but uh, a, a CNN poll this week did not have much good news for Joe Biden. Two-thirds of Democrats in that poll said, It'd be nice to have somebody else as the nominee, two-thirds of Democrats, and 46% of American voters said um, we'd take almost any one of those Republican nominees over Joe Biden. Um, What's the impact of that at this point, Leah? Yeah, I mean, okay, so a few points. One is that I just want to turn down the temperature a little bit on this poll, Um, You know, Joe Biden's approval rating has been um, pretty low in the same range since um, earlier this year, I want to say since spring. Um, So it's not a good poll, but it hasn't been a good poll in a while for him. Uh Um, So, no, I mean, the... I mean, the, you know, Nikki Haley's campaign was obviously very excited to see that, you know, she, I think, had some of the strongest numbers against Biden in a hypothetical matchup. It's just like, how does Nikki Haley win the Republican primary at this point? So it's, I think it's drawing attention to a dynamic that we're seeing across the board in Senate races and in House races. And I really want to highlight that it's happening in Senate races because that's a huge election in 2024, where some of the strongest candidates in a general election um, are really struggling to get through those primaries. Um, And that's kind of, you know, been Republicans' challenge, especially during the Trump era. Um, So uh, Biden's numbers have been have been low. I think that the you know, it's pretty much a statistically tied general election against Trump. It has been um, for a while. Again, it's early. It's not predictive, but it's a snapshot in time. And right now, um, you know, the country's kind of divided 46 percent, 46 percent. And that's not where Joe Biden would like to be. But um, I think he would like to be uh, in a position where, like like Jeff said, let's bring up the known unknowns again. Um, With uh, Donald Trump, you know, there's there's plenty of uh, drama that could happen in the next year that could make him a little bit more vulnerable. Right. And the campaign really hasn't started yet. Jeff, Jim Messina, who ran uh, mm. President Obama's reelect campaign in 2012, came out this week saying, God, relax, everybody, right? You know, basically, we've got a billion dollars to spend. We haven't really started fighting back. Uh, doesn't matter what the polls say today. Um uh, that can all change. We've got time to make a change. And that is starting maybe this weekend on 60 Minutes. Uh, the Biden campaign is out with a 60-second ad touting Joe Biden's courage in going to Ukraine. Here's a little clip of that ad. He entered Ukraine under the cover of night. And in the morning, Joe Biden walked shoulder to shoulder with our allies in the war-torn streets. 
standing up for democracy in a place where a tyrant is waging war to take it away. Air raid sirens blared as the two men walked together. In the middle of a war zone, Joe Biden showed the world what America is made of. That's the quiet strength of a true leader who doesn't back down to a dictator. So, Jeff, I guess uh, they've got time to get that message out and they've got the resources to do it. I hear uh, Biden swam across the Volga River to get there <laughs> and uh, ran, sprinted through landmines. And no. Yeah. Um, I went through Messina's slide deck. I found it to be a little bit overly optimistic. And he sort of whistles past some of the some of the major issues that that Biden has. But he's right that the Biden campaign has largely kept its powder dry. They haven't yet spent the billion dollars they're going to spend in order to to define him. And so I can't remember if it was Messina or another Democratic strategist that I that I read made the point, which I largely agree with, that if you see the the approvals or even the head to heads between Biden and Trump, um, that number for Biden is probably a floor, whereas the number mm-hmm. for Trump is mm-hmm. probably his ceiling. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if you're getting to 45, 46% for Trump, that is, I mean, I, I'm surprised that he's hitting that historical ceiling, but that is his historical ceiling. Uh, he's certainly not going to get above 46%. Uh, so then it's just uh, up to Democrats to, to have the turnout that they had in 2020, and then they win again. Um, I do think Biden has more upside at this point uh, than, than uh, Trump does, even even given the negatives that both of them have. By the way, my favorite phrase in the uh, Jim Messina uh, deck was the calling the Democrats a party of bedwetters. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're always worried about something, right? It's true. <laughs> it is true. It is so true. Well, Igor, but the one flaw uh, in the Biden plan the one thing that people are saying is going to could bring Joe Biden down is Hunter, Hunter, Hunter. And it looks like McCarthy and Comer are determined uh, to uh, proceed with these hearings. And uh, the district attorney is now saying for sure that Hunter's going to be charged at least with one felony, which is lying on a form to purchase a gun. Um, where does that stand in the House right now? And um, you know, how serious do you think it is in terms of a threat to Biden? Um, I think it's a very serious issue for him. Uh, you know, anytime that Trump is in the, in the headlines and his son is and, uh, you know, his yep. um, dealings abroad, which absolutely look shady, um, is, is a negative for his prospects. So, you know, in terms of um, Hunter being indicted and the trial, a possible trial and what's going to happen there is just another... Um, you know, way for Republicans to go on offense. And and particularly whenever something is said about Trump, they're going to pivot to, you know, Hunter Biden, which is what they did effectively, um, you know, in prior in Trump's prior campaigns is just kind of pivot uh, off of Trump's negatives to, you know, something that either Hillary Clinton or, or Joe Biden did. Um, so, you know, I think there's very real risks. And for the moment, Democrats are... Um, or, um, you know, hoping for the best, I think. Uh, they're, they're quietly, they're saying, you know, I, I, that people should, if they committed a, a crime, they should be brought to justice uh, about Trump and as well as, 
as well as anybody else, including Hunter Biden. And uh, I think we'll we'll see where this goes. But for, for the moment, um, you know, I don't think they've brought forward enough evidence to uh, implicate Joe Biden. Now, uh, the latest CNN poll out this week, um, according to this poll, three fifths of Americans believe that there is enough evidence to uh, implicate Joe Biden, you know, giving uh, Republicans a major coup um, in this kind of battle of perception. Um, So that's a a real warning sign for uh, the White House. Right. Showing that even without any evidence at all, as you indicated earlier, uh, the messaging, right? (laughs) And if they keep saying it's not just Hunter, it's Joe, right, Uh, that that messaging is working so far. At, at, at any rate, seems to be with the American people. Oh, so much co- ground that we've covered today. Thank you. Thank you, panelists. I'm sure there are some issues we didn't get to, but in the interest of time, we've got to move on. Thank you to uh, Jeff Dufer and to Leah Escaranam and Igor Bobish. But before we let you go, uh, there had to be one story this week that stopped you in your tracks, caught your attention. Uh, made you laugh or cry or groan or whatever. Our favorite story of the week. Um, uh, Jeff, I think it's your t- You're up. Start us off. Sure. Um, a lot of people get all gleeful when the college football <laughs> season rolls around. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, not me. I'm not one of them. Um, I'm going <laughs> to uh, expose myself to Twitter ridicule here. Um, or X ridicule, I should say. Um, I am I'm a hater when it comes to college football. Um, I, I, I love sports, but I think it's fairly ridiculous that so many people put so much emotional energy into a bunch of 19 and 20 year olds playing football to say nothing of how uh, corrupt the whole thing is and the, the fiction that these are all student athletes mm. and the big programs are the worst offenders. So I always, always, always root for the upset. I want nothing but chaos and misery in the big BCS schools, and I got it this past weekend. Number five, LSU, Mm -hmm. loses. Number nine, Clemson, Clemson, loses. Number seven, TCU, who played for the championship last year, loses. I love it. I want more (laughs) chaos and more. If Alabama loses this weekend, I'll throw a party. You want more, you want more chaos in football, college football, and in politics, both, right? Hey, it makes for good copy. <laughs> Indeed, Igor, I hear you there laughing along. Uh, what caught your attention this week? I got to say, I like that. that. That was a good rant. That was a good. Yeah. Rant. Um, so my what caught my attention was this funny little thing that happened in New Hampshire this week. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy was oh. giving a little campaign stump. Uh, in this town of New Hampshire, and he had this big backdrop <laughs> behind him, which is part of his campaign message. Uh, you know, he's got these like, "This is my ten truths about truth, truth, tr- ten truth. truths about you know yeah. the world right now." Some of them being, you know, there are two genders, and fossil yeah. fuels are great. Let's burn more of them. But the sign, it was a giant sign that said "truth," and as he was speaking, it slowly, this is caught on footage on camera, it slowly fell and then just whacked him right in the head. <laughs> and um, I just thought it was so funny because he's been getting a lot of flack about, you know, shifting his positions. Some would say lying about what he said before and what he's saying now, even just a couple of months ago. Uh, you know, one example is uh, January 6th and he initially criticized Donald Trump and now he refuses yeah. to criticize <laughs> him and said everything was hunky dory. So it was just kind of a hilarious symbolic um, thing about his campaign. 
it was a magic moment when he was up there <laughs> spouting away and truth <laughs> hit him in the head, right? <laughs> Amazing. That was good. Uh, Leah, hard to top that, but what caught your attention this week? Okay, so I'm going to – personally, this is new for me this week. Objectively, this is about 150 years old. Oh. Um, but I have – this was the week of my life that I discovered um, President James Garfield and uh, read <laughs> Destiny of the Republic by Candace Millard. Oh, and yes. I am going straight to the bookstore to get uh, the next biography of him by C.W. Goodyear. Uh, there is a scene in the uh, Millard book about uh, why Garfield did not want to run for president, how people had ruined themselves and embarrassed themselves while pursuing the presidency. He actually was nominated without running. He didn't want to be president. Um, and I found it strangely timely to uh, hear about all of the ways people embarrass themselves running for president about this time of year. <laughs> um, so mostly flagging it so that other uh, people who have recently discovered James Garfield can talk to me about it. But I also think it's timely. It's a great book. It's a great book, right? And so was her book about Teddy Roosevelt. I think The River of Doubt, it was called or something. Yes. Uh, yeah, wonderful. She's a wonderful historian. Well, let me weigh in with my favorite story of the week. This I found, I couldn't believe um, that these people were sort of entering the political fray, but you probably saw this just a day or so ago. Uh, a whole group of presidential libraries the head of the presidential libraries came out with a joint statement warning that our that our democracy is in trouble, warning about the state of our democracy. Uh, all these librarians got together and said, you know, that the United States uh, for so many years has been a role model for other nations around the world, and it is very troubling when, to use their phrase, quote, others see our own house in disarray. I just want to point out, here are the presidential libraries that signed this statement. Presidential libraries of, listen carefully, Barack Obama, George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, George H.W. Bush, Ronald Reagan, Jimmy Carter, Jerry Ford, Richard Nixon, Linda Johnson, John F. Kennedy, Harry S. Truman, FDR, and Hoover, they didn't mention who may be uh, presenting a threat to our democracy, but what president's name is missing from that list? <laughs> no doubt about it. They were pointing the finger at Donald Trump, uh, the only recent president, well, ever since Herbert Hoover, not included in that. I thought it was just, it was a very unusual a statement coming from a very unusual group of people, never seen them speaking out on the American political scene before. Uh, and there they did, pointing the finger at Donald Trump. Uh, a moment to remember. And that's it. Again, great big thank you to today's panel. Thanks to Igor Babish from HuffPost, Leah Skarnam, now with the Cook Political Report with Amy Walter, and Joe Jeff of course, with the National Journal. And thanks to all of you, good friends, for joining us today. Uh, and we look forward to seeing you next Tuesday on the next podcast, Bill Press Pod. We'll be talking with longtime Republican strategist Stuart Stevens. 
He broke with the party, did not support Donald Trump in 2016, did not support Donald Trump in 2020, helped found the Lincoln Project, which drove Donald Trump crazy in 2020. Stuart Stevens, up next, next Tuesday. We'll see you then on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.